We are in, as we know, difficult times. Sin complicates. Sin makes things difficult. And our nation is experiencing unprecedented events, unprecedented attitudes, um, unprecedented decisions are being made by officials throughout this nation that are revealing we're not the nation we used to be. There's been a drastic change in this, in this country and more is on the way. And I want us in the midst of this, my heart hungers and cries for the, the right message and the relevant message because if there's any group of people that ought to properly, adequately, and righteously deal with these times, it's the church. We are not left without a guide in this hour. We are not children of darkness. We're children of light. We're not left stumbling in the dark. We're here and we have um, a road map. We have the Spirit of God to guide us. Now, you may or may not, many of you I know are aware of things that are happening. Some of you maybe even more than, than I. But... Um, Today, I want, to just, I want to deal with a few of these things. And the way I want to share with this is recently in the state of California, the, the governor, Newsom, basically told churches to shut down, not sing. Um, singing is supposedly spreading the virus. And... Um, you know, placed big, massive limits upon the church. There's a pastor located in California by the name of John MacArthur. Many of you are familiar with him. And uh, he's written a lot of good things. We are not in agreement on all of his writings. But he responded as leading pastor of his church to the governor's um, mandate and the governor's order. And uh, just this past Friday, he responded, a written response. And it's, it's, it is rather lengthy, but I want to read the entire thing in your hearing this morning. And then I'd like to go quickly to Ephesians, and I'm going to walk you through some things very quickly. And I, if I can title this message, I'd like to put things to remember in times like these. I'm going to talk about three things. I'm not going to have time to expound the passages that I'm going to deal with this morning. I really have got a big challenge before me. I've got a lot of ground to cover. I want to cover it fairly quickly, adequately, things for you to look at and listen to. But I do not want, uh, I don't want to do an injustice to it. I don't want to try to rush it, but I don't want to, to leave it out either. So when I read this, I'm going to read this in its entirety. And then I'm going to go to Ephesians and give you some things to remember, some principles that we're going to keep in mind as we face these times. This church is going to have to have discussions. Our pastors are going to have to, to advise and, and study and know and pray and hear from God and give direction 
We all are going to need to hear from God and be looking in His Word for the answers we need when we tread uncharted waters. Amen? I would tell you in America, you've not come this way before. You have not passed this way before, okay? So we're treading uncharted waters in this country, but not uncharted waters to Christianity. Amen. So I'd like for you to listen this morning as, we, as I read to you. He responded Friday, July 24th. This is the response of John MacArthur. It's titled, Christ, not Caesar, is the head of the church. He says that it is the article itself is as well called a biblical case for the church's duty to remain open because the governor has essentially wanted to shut them down in the state of California. And I read, Christ is Lord of all. He is the one true head of the church. Ephesians 1.22, 5.23, Colossians 1.18. He is also King of kings, sovereign over every earthly authority. 1 Timothy 6.15, Revelation 17.14, 19.16. Grace Community Church has always stood immovably on those biblical principles. As His people, we are subject to His will and commands as revealed in Scripture. Therefore, we cannot and will not acquiesce to a government-imposed moratorium on our weekly congregational worship or other regular corporate gatherings. Compliance would be disobedience to our Lord's clear commands. Some will think such a firm statement is inexorably in conflict with the command to be subject to governing authorities laid out in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. Scripture does mandate careful, conscientious obedience to all governing authority, including kings, governors, employers, and their agents. In Peter's words, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 1 Peter 2.18 Insofar as government authorities do not attempt to assert ecclesiastical authority or issue orders that forbid our obedience to God's law, their authority is to be obeyed whether we agree with their rulings or not. In other words, Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 still bind the consciences of individual Christians. We are to obey our civil authorities as powers that God Himself has ordained. However, while civil government is invested with divine authority to rule the state, neither of those texts nor any other, grants civil or civic rulers jurisdiction over the church. God has established three institutions within human society, the family, the state, and the church. Each institution has a sphere of authority with jurisdictional limits that must be respected. A father's authority is limited to his own family. Church leaders' authority, which is delegated to them by Christ, is limited to church matters. And government is specifically tasked with the oversight and protection of civic peace and well-being within the boundaries of a nation or community. God has not granted civic rulers authority over the doctrine, practice, or polity of the church. The biblical framework limits the authority of each institution to its specific jurisdiction. The church does not have the right to meddle in the affairs of individual families and ignore parental authority. Parents do not have authority to manage civil matters while circumventing governmental officials. 
And similarly, government officials have no right to interfere in ecclesiastical matters in a way that undermines or disregards the God-given authority of pastors and elders. When any one of these three institutions exceeds the bounds of its jurisdiction, it is the duty of the other institutions to curtail that overreach. Therefore, when any government official issues orders regulating worship, such as bans on singing, caps on attendance, or prohibitions against gatherings and services, he steps outside the legitimate bounds of his God-ordained authority as a civic official and arrogates to himself authority that God expressly grants only to the Lord Jesus Christ as sovereign over his kingdom, which is the church. His rule is mediated to local churches through these, those pastors and elders who teach his word. Matthew 16, 18 through 19, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 4, 2. Therefore, in response to the recent state order requiring churches in California to limit or suspend all meetings indefinitely, we, the pastors and elders of Grace Community Church, respectfully inform our civic leaders that they have exceeded their legitimate jurisdiction and faithfulness to Christ prohibits us from observing the restrictions they want to impose on our corporate worship services. Said another way, it has never been the prerogative of civil government to order, modify, forbid, or mandate worship. When, how, and how often the church worships is not subject to Caesar. Caesar himself is a subject to God. Jesus affirmed that principle when he told Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. John 19 and 11. And because Christ is head of the church, ecclesiastical matters pertain to His kingdom, not Caesar's. Jesus drew a stark distinction between those two kingdoms when He said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Mark 12, 17. Our Lord Himself always rendered to Caesar what was Caesar's, but He never offered to Caesar what belongs solely to God. As pastors and elders, we cannot hand over to earthly authorities any privilege or power that belongs solely to Christ as head of His church. Pastors and elders are the ones to whom God or to whom Christ has given the duty and the right to exercise His spiritual authority in the church. 1 Peter 5, 1-4, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. And Scripture alone defines how and whom they are to serve. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-4. They have no duty to follow orders from a civil government attempting to regulate the worship or governance of the church. In fact, pastors who cede their Christ-delegated authority in the church to a civil ruler have abdicated their responsibility before their Lord and violated the God-ordained spheres of authority as much as the secular official who illegitimately imposes his authority upon the church. Our church's doctrinal statement has included this paragraph for more than 40 years. We teach the autonomy of the local church free from any external authority or control with the right of self-government and freedom from the interference of any hierarchy of individuals or organizations, Titus 1 and 5. We teach that it is scriptural for true churches to cooperate with each other with the presentation and propagation of the faith. Each local church, however, through its elders and their interpretation and application of scripture, 
should be the sole judge of the measure and method of its cooperation. The elders should determine all other matters of membership, policy, discipline, benevolence, and government as well. Acts 15, 19 to 31, 20, 28, 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 7, 13, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. In short, as the church, we do not need the state's permission to serve and worship our Lord as He has commanded. The church is Christ's precious bride. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Ephesians 5, 23 through 27. She belongs to Him alone. She exists by His will and serves under His authority. He will tolerate no assault on her purity and no infringement of His headship over her. All of that was established when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Matthew 16 and 18. Christ's own authority is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God the Father has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all and all. Ephesians 1, 21-23. Accordingly, the honor that we rightly owe our earthly governors and magistrates, Romans 13 and 7, does not include compliance when such officials attempt to subvert sound doctrine, corrupt biblical morality, exercise ecclesiastical authority, or supplant Christ as head of the church in any other way. The biblical order is clear. Christ is Lord over Caesar, not vice versa. Christ, not Caesar, is head of the church. Conversely, the church does not in any sense rule the state. Again, these are distinct kingdoms and Christ is sovereign over both. Neither church nor state has any higher authority than that of Christ Himself who declared, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28 and 18. Notice that we are not making a constitutional argument even though the First Amendment of the United States Constitution expressly affirms this principle in its opening words. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The right we are appealing to was not created by the Constitution. It is one of those unalienable rights granted solely by God who ordained human government and establishes both the extent and the limitations of the state's authority. Romans 13, 1-7. Our, our argument, therefore, is purposely not grounded in the First Amendment. It is based on the same biblical principles that the amendment itself is founded upon. The exercise of true religion is a divine duty given to men and women created in God's image. Genesis 1, 26-27, Acts 4, 18-20, 5-29, coupled with Matthew 22, 16-22. In other words, freedom of worship is a command of God, not a privilege granted by the state. An additional point needs to be made in this context. Christ is always faithful and true. Revelation 19.11 
human governments are not so trustworthy. Scripture says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5 and 19. That refers, of course, to Satan. John 12, 31 and 16, 11 call him the ruler of this world. Meaning he wields power and influence through the world's political systems. Luke 4 and 6, Ephesians 2, 2, 6 and 12. Jesus said of him, he is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44. History is full of painful reminders that government power is easily and frequently abused for evil purposes. Politicians may manipulate statistics and the media can cover up or camouflage inconvenient truths. So a discerning church cannot passively or automatically comply if the government orders a shutdown of congregational meetings, even if the reason given is a concern for public health and safety. The church by definition is an assembly. That is the literal meaning of the Greek word for church, ekklesia, the assembly of the called out ones. A non-assembling assembly is a contradiction in terms. Christians are therefore commanded not to forsake the practice of meeting together, Hebrews 10 and 25. And no earthly state has a right to restrict, delimit, or forbid the assembling of believers. We have always supported the underground church in nations where Christian congregational worship is deemed illegal by the state. When officials restrict church attendance to a certain number, they attempt to impose a restriction that in principle makes it impossible for the saints together as the church. When officials prohibit singing in worship services, they attempt to impose a restriction that in principle makes it impossible for the people of God to command the, to obey the commands of Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. When officials mandate distancing, they attempt to impose a restriction that in principle makes it impossible to experience the close communion between believers that is commanded in Romans 16 and 16, 1 Corinthians 16 and 20, 2 Corinthians 13 and 12, and 1 Thessalonians 5 and 26. In all those spheres, we must submit to our Lord. Although we in America may be unaccustomed to government intrusion into the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is by no means the first time in church history that Christians have had to deal with government overreach or hostile rulers. As a matter of fact, persecution by the church, of the church by government authorities has been the norm, not the exception. Throughout church history. Indeed, Scripture says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 Historically, the two main persecutors have always been secular government and false religion. Most of Christianity's martyrs have died because they refused to obey such authorities. This is, after all, what Christ promised 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. John 15 and 20. The last of the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, Matthew 5, 11 through 12. As government policy moves further away from biblical principles and as legal and political pressures against the church intensify, we must recognize that the Lord may be using these pressures as a means of purging to reveal the true church. Succumbing to government overreach may cause churches to remain closed indefinitely. How can the true church of Jesus Christ distinguish herself in such a hostile climate? There is only one way. Bold allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even where governments seem sympathetic to the church, Christian leaders have often needed to push back against aggressive state officials. In Calvin's Geneva, for example, church officials at times needed to fend off attempts by the city council to govern aspects of worship, church polity, and church discipline. The Church of England has never fully reformed precisely because the British Crown and Parliament have always meddled in church affairs. In 1662, the Puritans were ejected from their pulpits because they refused to bow to government mandates regarding the use of the common book or the book of common prayer, the wearing of vestments and other ceremonial aspects of state-regulated worship. The British monarch still claims to be the supreme governor and titular head of the Anglican church. But again, Christ is the one true head of His church. And we intend to honor that vital truth in all our gatherings. For that preeminent reason, we cannot accept and will not bow to the intrusive restrictions government officials now want to impose on our congregation we offer this response without rancor and not out of hearts that are combative or rebellious. 1 Timothy 2, 1-8, 1 Peter 2, 13-17. But with a sobering awareness that we must answer to the Lord Jesus for the stewardship He has given to us as the shepherds of His precious flock. To government officials, we respectively say with the apostles, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge, Acts 4.19. And our unhesitating reply to that question is the same as the apostles. We must obey God rather than men, Acts 5 and 29. Our prayer is that every faithful congregation will stand with us in obedience to our Lord as Christians have done through the centuries. I say amen to that. I was handed that early Friday morning. I received a text from a pastor in another state. He said this just came off the press. The response of the Grace Community Church to the governor of California. 
I don't know of any time in America's history when the church has been told to shut down. And where the government wants to reach in and dictate what we do in our services. This is unprecedented. But the church can't falter, back up, quail, be fearful, or give in in this hour. If you lack courage in this hour, you're going to be in trouble. The Bible said we are not of them that draw back under perdition. The word draw back there means to cower in fear. It means to back away because you're afraid. We are not of those who crower down and draw back because we're afraid, but we push on. We press on in faith and we believe to the saving of the soul. Oh, glory to God. Because the kingdom to whom that to which we belong, our sovereign head and Lord, is sovereign over all. He still puts up kings and puts them down. He still judges nations and He still turns every nation into hell that forgets God. You can know and rest assured that Jesus will not be silent concerning the governor's orders in America. You can rest assured that what our state officials have declared throughout this nation have not fallen on deaf ears. But the King of Kings has heard the blasphemy. The King of Kings has heard that railing against His wonderful name and that rebelling against His sovereign authority. And you can rest assured that our King will prevail and that our King will do us right. Let us stand in firm reliance and faith on our Lord Jesus Christ. I must do this very quickly, so I need your attention. Because I, it is not my intent to expound the Word this morning. That was a rather lengthy, lengthy reading, but I felt I needed to read it to let you know there are folks who are standing. And to let you know that I believe this needs to be our position, that whatever may come, we've been granted a little more liberty here but I can tell you right now that liberty may be short-lived and we must make our decision who is head of the church, who is the sovereign, and what authority will we ultimately obey when the commands and the dictates of two authorities differ. You must choose which is supreme. When you have a conflict of commandments, then you must make a decision which authority takes precedent, which command is higher that I must obey. And I don't know about you but I will say with Joshua as for me and my house we will serve the Lord you may choose whom you will serve and whom you will obey but we ought to obey God rather than men principled men cannot but speak the things which they have heard and silence as an impossibility by people who have the conviction of Jesus Christ in their heart and the Holy Ghost living in their temple and the conviction of God's word dictating our steps. We cannot be silent in such hours we live. So as in the days ahead we, by God's grace and God's leading, we'll be dealing with issues as we need to from a biblical perspective. And you will hear it and you must because the world is not going to give you the true perspective. If you can't find it in the church, you won't find it. And when we live in a culture where we're facing these issues, we need to know what God thinks. We need to know our history. We need to know where we came from. And we need to know where we're going. 
In times like these, I simply want to remind you quickly of three things found. And I want to take these three things because they are repeated by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus. And may I state as I quickly go to these, I'll begin in chapter 1 and verse 1. As I quickly go to these, may I state that when the Apostle penned this epistle to the church at Ephesus, may I state that he is chained to a Roman soldier when he does so. May I state that he knows what persecution is. And he knows what it is to obey God when government authorities are wanting you to go another route. He is yet to testify before Nero and to see what is going to take place. But he writes from a Roman prison. He writes from Roman captivity. And he lets us know, oh, this man, you read about him. He may be bound and in some sense a prisoner of Rome, but he doesn't consider him as such. He's the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and he is the servant of God and he is where he is only because the sovereign Lord has chosen to put him there only because the sovereign head of the earth has chosen to allow his apostle to be in prison for if that Roman government had not gotten permission from God there would be no keeping or binding of a servant of the Lord God can keep you through a lion's den God can keep you through a furnace of fire God can set you free no matter where you're at. Put a Pharaoh's army at your back and a Red Sea in front of you and they will not shut down the purposes of God. Put a dry desert, put a place where there's no meat and they cannot hinder the purposes of God for He will bring water from the rock and He will bring quail from the sky. Our God is able to bring us through. I want to remind us three things. Number one, of God's purpose. God's purpose and His ability to fulfill it. I just want to take the verses where Paul mentions the will of God very quickly. I will go now. Follow me. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul was not an apostle by the choosing of Caesar. Paul is not an apostle as an appointee of the Sanhedrin. He is not an appointee of the Pharisees. He is not an emissary for the state of Rome. He is the apostle which means a sent one and he says my apostleship has been brought about by the will of God. As according to Rome he has no authority. The Jews have pushed him out and want nothing to do with him. But he is an apostle in the church and the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And when Paul writes he writes with the authority of Christ uh, by the will of God. Can I just say to you this? Uh, the church yet has an authority in this world. Uh, he writes this letter not as some uh, prisoner that's down on his luck uh, trying to find some back door, trying to get his way out of prison. He writes this epistle in a sense of strength and conviction with power and authority, realizing he is where he is uh, because God's will has dictated it so uh, and God has determined that he be where he's at. He sends us an authoritative letter I can tell you the church's authority is when she is in compliance with the will of God. If we ever get outside of God's will and adopt the will of a corrupt state, we will lose the power of God. We will lose our authoritative station in our culture. We will lose our witness. We will lose our significance. We will lose our distinction and have no power. It is only when the church is complicit with the will of God that God will use us and that we 
we are an authoritative voice in this world. It is God's will that gives us an authority to proclaim the unadulterated word and stand without fear in the power of conviction of the Holy Ghost and the scriptural truths that we are the church of Jesus Christ. He mentions about his will in verse 5. Having predestinated, predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I want you to know that God's will is sovereign, number one, and it's only as we are complicit with that will that we will be able to make it. Secondly, I want you to know that God's will, He talks about it in reference to His good pleasure. These, these put together is one Greek word, but it's the combination of a couple of Greek words, and it's the idea that here is the desire, that God desires to do something, and He will do it. His will will dictate His steps, and whatever God has set out to do, He will accomplish. Can I tell you, God has never been thwarted in accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. Anything God sets out to do, he gets done. Anything God determines to accomplish, it gets done. It may not always turn out or it may not go the way you think it ought to go, but can I tell you when in the end God's will will be supreme, God will be sovereign, and you will be amazed at the wisdom. But the idea is, is that God's will, His pleasure, His desire is good. God doesn't have an ill motive. God doesn't give us commands because He's a tyrant. He doesn't give His commands because He's afraid of rebels. He doesn't command us because he feels like he has to hold some kind of grip an iron fisted grip over his people can I tell you every command of God is good every dictate of his will is for your benefit every decision God makes to determine your step will be a blessing and will be a benefit to your soul in order to accomplish the intended end of you being conformed to the character of Christ the will of state governments is often selfishly and politically motivated. God's will comes from an unselfish being who seeks nothing but the good of all mankind. Thirdly, in verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He had purposed in Himself. I want you to know God's purpose is supreme. I want you to know that God's purpose is good. I want you to know God's purpose is that which He has revealed unto us. As I said, He has made known unto us the mystery of His will. We are not in the dark as to what's going on right now in our world. We are not caught in some place that, oh no, what are we going to do? We are not left to go to some books or library and research and find out how this one dealt or that one dealt. We've got a road map. We've got the will of God that has been preserved for us and the mystery of God's will. God has given humanity what it needs to know about Him to live. God has not left us without a witness. In Genesis 6 we talked about it this morning that God said about the people in the days of Noah, my spirit shall not always strive with man. God God was striving with man. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have what you and I have. They didn't have the incarnation. But they had a cherubim over by the Garden of Eden and had a flaming sword. They had an Enoch that was translated that let them know that there is a day of judgment that is coming. They had a Noah that was a preacher of righteousness. They had a prophet of God among them. They had a testimony of their conscience. They had the judgment of God upon Cain. God has not left America without a 
witness of His will and His way. If we are ignorant of it, it is a willful ignorance. If we are ignorant of it, it is because we have chosen to shut down the knowledge of God and become reprobates in our thinking. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Never have I seen a day when government has become so nilly-willy, wishy-washy, up and down, change your mind. Why? Because the counsel of the counselors always waves. When your plans are dictated by scientific studies and polls and statistics then you are as stable as the next report coming off the repress. And as soon as the next set polling is done, your world's going to turn upside down. And what today is said to be good for you, tomorrow will be bad for you. And what today is said to be bad for you, tomorrow will be good for you. Because the only thing they have in interest is their approval of men. The only thing that they have in, in sight is being able to please men and be able to win the appeasement of men and the vote of men. And they are not concerned about ethics that are rooted in the Bible. They are not concerned about moral absolutes. There is no standard that is universal or eternal that's an anchor that they hold on to. No, sir. They wishy-washy up and down this one day, that the next day. How inconsistent is it? How obvious is the prejudice of a California governor who says to the church, you got to quit your singing. You can only have so many people. But he will praise a protest of something that is ungodly and allow people to go together and be next to each other shouting and doing the same thing. I'm telling you, you cannot depend because the Counsel's always changing. But can I tell you, God doesn't counsel with the world. He doesn't counsel with the governors. He doesn't counsel with some committee. He does everything after his own counsel. He counsels with himself. And he is the eternal. He is the eternal. He is the omniscient. He is the omnipotent. He is the all-wise. He is the all-powerful God whose ways are beyond knowing and finding out. God will not ask us what to do in this hour. We will not call upon Him and Him say, wait a second, I haven't heard back from the committee. He does everything after the counsel of His own will. Let us remember, in times like these, in times like these, God accomplishes His will. His will is sovereign. And if we are subjected to that will, the ends and purposes of God in us will be accomplished. His purpose will always be accomplished from a worldwide perspective. The question is, is will it be accomplished in you? Oh, glory. It will be accomplished in you in some regards whether you are obedient or not. If you obey, you will see good happen. If you disobey, then He will take and incarcerate you in a lake of fire forever. Let us quickly note again 
what we did in our life past Ephesians 2 and 3 among whom also we had all our conversation in time is past in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires the word desires here is the same word as will the wheels of our flesh and of our mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others that's what we were that's what we were we followed the will of our own flesh our own sensitivity and our own mind our own humanistic reasoning in other words we did what everybody else did well I think it's this way well I think it's that way we listened to what the world said whatever our flesh felt was right whatever made us comfortable whatever ever made us acceptable that's what we followed that's no more do you understand that is no more that's what we were that's not what we are now now I'll tell you what we do we do what he says over in Ephesians chapter 4 Chapter 5, I'm sorry. In Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about it. And he says down in verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then in Ephesians 6 and 6, Not with eye services, men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. There was a time that our own human reasoning and our own fleshly desires dictated our steps but that is no more there was a time when we would have just followed the rest of the crowd and said what the government said is good for us what the studies and the experts have said surely they know what's best for us and we would have followed popular opinion but that's in the past now we are no longer unwise now we have learned the will of the Lord and we understand what God's will is we are no longer filled with the wine of self-centeredness. We are no longer filled with the wine of fornication. We are no longer filled with the wine of sexual perversion. We are no longer filled with the wine of sports and the wine of gold and the wine of fortune and fame. We are now filled with the new wine of the Holy Ghost that takes and dictates our steps. Our steps are no longer dictated by the flesh but by the Holy Ghost of heaven that lives and dwells in our being. You cannot walk the same path when you follow a different master. Secondly, I want you to remember our place. Thirdly, God's purpose is supreme. We must discover it and do it. Secondly, our place. He uses this phrase several times throughout Ephesians 1 and 3. Watch. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This phrase, you'll notice places is in italics because it's not two words, it's one. It's literally in the heavenlies. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. In the heavenly region, if you will, and realm. This is our place. I want us to note some things about our place this is where we are. This is where our provision is. We will see this is where God has placed us. I want you to know something. Our blessing and our provision does not come from the dictates of Congress. We are not provided for or looking for another stimulus. We have never seen the American economy as our savior. Because the blessings we desire most are not material, they are spiritual. Oh, glory. 
He said it a different way in Colossians chapter 3. He said, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Oh, yes. That's what he said. He said, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. These blessings in heavenly places are where Christ sits and Christ sits at the right hand of God. Therefore our goal is not to achieve world acclaim. Our goal and desire is not to be approved of our culture. Our goal and desire is not so that we can say look at the church that we built. Our goal and desire is let us lay hold of the treasures of heaven. Let us reach up and know the purity and the power of God. Let us know the virtue of humility. Let us know the nobility of a spirit led life. Let us know the glory of God's grace and its influence upon a human heart. The blessings we seek, the approval we seek, the sustenance we seek is from above, not from human governments. Notice what he says in verse 20, chapter 1. He speaks of Christ and says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, in heavenly places, in the heavenlies. I've already said it, but that's where Christ sits. That's our place. Let me couple with it. Chapter 2 and verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ooh, I like that. He has made us sit. Here the sitting is, is a sense of, of an authoritative sitting. A sense to where we sit in a place that is sure. We're not wondering. We're not staggering. We're not even just standing around milling. We're sitting. We are established. We've got a rock solid place. Oh, hallelujah. In Jesus Christ. In spite of the governors. In spite of Pilate's will. In spite of the will of the Sanhedrin court. In spite of the will of the Roman soldiers. In spite of the will of the Jewish people. Their will was to bury the man from Galilee. Their will was to bury and rid the earth of the carpenter of Nazareth. Their will was to silence the voice of him that said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God her kingdom of heaven their will was to remove the hand and it opened blinded eyes their will was to shut down the steps of he who cleansed the leper and raised the dead that was their will but they had not the final say the will of God superseded it and what they killed God resurrected what they buried he lifted up what they pushed aside and would treat it as a criminal. What they cast out as the offscouring of the day. God said in his right hand above all principality and power and might and every name that is named. He reigns and we live with him. Hallelujah. We sit in a place of victory. We sit in a place where failure never needs come our way. 
We sit in a place where we never have to acquiesce to sin and its tactics. We never have to give place to the devil. We never have to back up and say, oh well, i got to give this one to the enemy. We sit with Christ who has conquered all and lives and sits above it all. We struggle with that. We try our best. We do this. There's only one reason. It's because you're wanting to keep your little selfish interest. There's something you are not rendering to Christ. Because if you'll render to Him, victory will flood your soul. If you put your faith in Him and your trust in Him, I'm telling you what, He'll raise you up and He will sit you right at His side. Tell me who can harm me when the right at the right hand of God and I'm at the Lord's right hand. Hallelujah. Tell me who can harm me when that mighty arm, that death couldn't stop, that mighty arm. Let the armies come against it and they cannot touch Him. He is not just the lone Lord. He's the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies. He is the sovereign God above it all. Who can harm us. We have a God undefeatable. We have a God that cannot turn around. We have a God that cannot change. He cannot fail. He lives forevermore. Chapter 3 verse 10. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Paul said in verse 9 that his, his work that God had given him was to make known what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world had been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. God had done something in this age, began with Pentecost, that God united man to himself in Christ. He brought all this together. He brought it all together. Oh, glory. And... It wasn't seen in the, early, in the Old Testament, but it's seen now. And to the intent that now, under principalities and powers, in heavenly places. Principalities and powers in heavenlies. That's the heavenlies. This is our place, okay? Yeah. This is our place. Our spiritual blessings are there. Right. What you need to live life isn't at your house. What you need to live life is not on Capitol Hill. What you need to live life as God wants you to be led are in the hands of Christ where He sits. Well, by the words, I can't get to more. Yeah, you can if you're saved because He placed you with Him. They're in hands reach. They're in arms reach. Glory. Our Lord isn't far off. We sit with Him. Praise the Lord. We are there right in position. And with Him we sit. But I can tell you, our message is beyond this world. We are not only being observed by humanity that's around us. We're not only being observed by Washington, North Carolina. I know there are churches watching us. There are holiness churches watching us. There are people going the holiness churches that are watching us uh, we're being listened to on the internet and they're wondering uh, what's that crowd down there going to do oh glory but can I tell you our audience is larger than the seen world our audience is larger than the pokes around you that you can listen and put your finger on oh there's a region out there the devil's watching to see what we're going to do come on now oh yes I think even Gabriel and Michael are maybe wondering what will be the end of the WPC Church of Washington 
I say let us declare that God is wise and he will bring us through and when God chose us to follow him he made a wise decision and we will not follow the wisdom of men but we will follow the wisdom of God and let the world know that we are God's people and God can get his business done because he's sovereign There are aspects of God's character and intellect that angels have yet to behold. You can talk all you want to about the wiles of the devil, Paul does. But they are not greater than the wisdom of God. We are not here to reflect the wiles of the devil. We don't resort to trickery. We don't use gimmicks to get people to church and bait and switch. Bait them in with some kind of entertainment that's ungodly and then switch it and tell them to come to Christ. Oh no, we don't do that. We just lay it out like it is. Raw, naked truth of God's word. It's Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus or die. It's holiness or hell. It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. It's light or darkness. It's life or death. It's good or evil. It's Christ or the world. Which will you have? If you will have life, choose Christ. Lose your life for His sake and you will find life eternal. Just how will our sovereign God navigate the maze that sin has created in our culture? We will turn this way. We will turn that way. You may not see the light at the end of the tunnel. But God's got the whole portrait in mind. Woo! The devil's never put a puzzle that God can't solve or that God didn't know from the beginning. Glory. I'm just telling you when it's all said and done, the angelic world is going to look back and say, oh my, what a brilliant creator. What a brilliant savior. What a brilliant Lord. Oh my. Those people were pushed down. Those people were beaten down. Those people were hit at every angle they could be hit. The powers of darkness blind inside of them. They come at them. But can you see how that God steered them this way? And God steered them that way. And God brought them that way. And when it's all said and done, the church is still intact. We're still alive. We're still alive. Glory to God. We're healthy. We're whole. We're in one piece because the Lord of glory is led. Hallelujah. 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 Woo! Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenlies. Same word. Word here, high places. There's these heavenlies where our provision is. There's these heavenlies. Our place with Christ is where we sit in a place of authority, in a place of confidence, in a place... Of established security. There's these heavenlies. Where we are being watched. And examined. By celestial beings. That wonder how God can take such. 
vessels of clay. I do not mean this belittling, but sheep as ignorant as we. Nobody's simpletons, naive ones. <laughs> and he can navigate the maze of the enemy, the puzzle of the enemy, so that when we come out, we not only come out alive, we come out better than we went in. <laughs> we not only come out whole, we come out healthier. <laughs> Hallelujah. And when we get done, we're not weaker, we're stronger. When we get on the other side, oh no, we're not bedraggled. We're not coming out. Oh, I barely made it. I just slid it through. No, sir. We come out. Hallelujah. The fire has refined me. The fire has refined me. I've been put in the furnace and I've come out as a gold that is more pure. Our wrestlings, watch very carefully. It was stated in Pastor MacArthur's response. Three things, essentially. Our attack against the enemy comes from three areas. And we look at this. What we deal with is the physical realm. But we recognize that it's a spiritual battle. Because what's happening in those material physical realms is being influenced, driven, motivated by the powers of darkness. And therefore, our battle cannot be fought with weapons of flesh. Woo. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Woo! Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing captive every thought under the obedience of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you the anointed preaching of God's word will still change a broken heart. It'll still draw a bound sinner. The anointed word of God will still break the yoke of sin and Satan. There are three groups of things listed Principalities and powers Rulers of the darkness of this world Spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places Principalities and powers In the spiritual realm is the organized rank And of the devil's organization And his kingdom he has princes, demons over certain territories. Some we call municipalities. We call it territories. It's called a principality. Their kingdom, if I can put it that way, a prince over an area, a territory, a polity. His kingdom is well ordered and well organized. But he works through human governments. He works through, let me say it this way, the spiritual organization of the devil that is invisible to the human eye. 
the organized governmental region of the devil in that heavenly realm that is against us works through human organization, particularly human governments. To us, we have to deal with the edict of a Governor Roy Cooper and a Governor Newsom. To us, it's a governmental demand that says, close your church doors. Stop your singing. No more than ten people if you have a service. That's what we have to confront. But that idea wasn't dreamed up by a mere human, a, 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 a human agent, if you will. I can tell you that is inspired from the very kingdom of darkness. It is the inspiration of the powers of darkness and the devil himself. I can tell you they've been conniving for decades. How are we going to get them? How are we going to get them there? The devil isn't doing this thing at random. He's had a plan. He's had. He's got key organizations. He's worked through the media. He's worked through the educational institutions. And can I tell you, he's working in our governments. He sits on Capitol Hill. He's the Speaker of the House. And he's working through the presidents of this country. Can I tell you this morning, but we will wrestle. We will not bow. We will not bend. We will pray. We will pray. And we will preach the Word. And God will give us the victory. The rulers of the darkness of this world. The second region that we face conflict from is false religion and false philosophies. You hear me? There are going to be so-called holiness Pentecostal churches that are going to look down on us for the decisions we make. They're going to think we've went too far. They're going to adopt that world scenario and think that by us preaching and singing together and me getting here and spitting and stomping in your face, preaching His Word, has endangered your life. Hypocrisy that can rip a baby out of a womb and never crack a smile, never even have an expression on the face and then want to push me down because as a healthy specimen, I don't wear a mask. That's where we're at. An angel in the world is coming to the church. They're going to look down on this holiness church and they're going to think we've went too far. False religion and false philosophies. we got to deal with it. But let me tell you something right now. We're going to search that book. Oh, yes, sir. And we're going to preach that word. And wherever there's a vessel that's willing to subject their thinking to the word of God and bring their thoughts captive to Christ, the anointed preaching and the anointed presentation of truth will pierce their moat. It'll cross their moat. It'll lower their drawbridge. It'll reach into their castle and it'll bring down the fortress and they can stand up and say, I choose Christ. I choose Christ. I will follow the word of God Almighty. We will confront false philosophies and we will confront false religion with the unadulterated preaching of the absolute truth of God's word. Spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Our third assault comes from the gross immorality and perversion that exists in our culture. 
How do you fight? Men who say the LGBT community has more rights than Christians. How do you stand? What do you do in a culture that makes it a norm for a pedophile to enjoy his lifestyle? How do you deal with a culture where men and women don't even recognize the natural distinctions, sexual distinctions, gender distinctions that are so physically obvious? How do you fight a culture that says it's okay for some man who is a pervert and got a bad record, but because today he identifies as a woman, you can send your maidens of virtue into the same restroom and he can go to the same place and you shouldn't say anything about it. We've never heard of such wickedness. We've never, where did it come from? It is the inspiration of the demons of hell. It is the inspiration of the powers of darkness. It is the inspiration of the father of sin himself and it's went further than we thought it would go but we will take our sword of the spirit and our weapon of prayer and our breastplate of righteousness and we will stand against the wiles of the devil hallelujah 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 it will not be that the immorality of the world will find an open door at the church. It will not be that the pulpit of the church will acquiesce and endorse perverted lifestyles. No, sir. We will stand in the middle of the field and declare God is righteous. God is holy. God is true. And in Him there is no sin. And whom the, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. Quickly, quickly. What do we do? Our practice. I would note our practice. He begins this by telling us, he mentions the word several times. He mentions what we were and Ephesians chapter 2, notice it. In verse 2, wherein in times past you walked. Just like righteousness and the revelation of truth, just as they are progressive. Not in the absolute sense that God possesses them. God possesses that all in perfection. He is perfect righteousness. He's perfect truth. But you and I, the light's shining brighter every day. For you and I, there's still future light to behold, to enlarge our experience and our capacities. Our purity can, if I can put it away this way, can become purer. And our holiness can become more holy as we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
But just as those things are progressive for the Christian, sin is progressive for the sinner. You won't sin and hang at the same level. The bitterness will become more bitter. The lie will be told more often. The drunkenness will become more frequent. Hello. The anger will get stronger. Oh, yes. I will tell you, the drug will have to get stronger. You'll go from one to another. You'll go from one depth to another depth. And the bitterness and the blackness of your soul, the darkness that is in you will get darker. And it will get blacker. Oh, yes. You think, you might do a few things that you just kind of wash a little bit away. Once in a while, you turn over a new leaf. But I'm going to tell you, I found out something about turning over leaves. When I turn them over, they're dirtier on the bottom side than they were on the upside. At least the upside got some rain once in a while, but you turn it over and it's just as dirty on the bottom. I'm going to tell you, you just get more rooted. Your pride becomes more proud. Oh yes, you go down that road where you get more harder against the truth of God's word. You can't stay in the same way. Our culture cannot stay the same. It's on a path it's on a course it's headed to destruction if it doesn't turn around it's going to get worse it's going to get darker it's going to get blacker if you sow to the flesh you will of the flesh reap corruption God is not mocked whatever man sows he'll reap we walked According to the course of the age, the prince of the power of the air, spirit that works in the children of disobedience. He says three things that dictated in that verse your steps. The course that was charted by the age. I'll say it another way. Popularity. Whatever was fashionable. Whatever was in vogue. Whatever was the mode of the day. The prince in power of the air is listening to the suggestions that do not come from the voice of reason and the Holy Ghost. From a mind that is entrenched in God's word that has got a hedge of truth that has encapsulated it and so that it is bound to the authority of Jesus Christ. No, the suggestions come. The mind is inspired by the thoughts that come from the air. The prince has, of the air has the power of suggestion. Oh yes. Yes. Our culture flourishes on the power of suggestion. We use these images in, in, in advertising all over. We use these images. We give the portrait and give the suggestion and then let the human mind take it from there. And I'm telling you the prince and power of the air. He has given suggestions to the world and we've taken his counsel. We've taken his advice and we're following it it's my idea I'm the expert in this field I've done this study and this is what I can see I can tell you Charles Darwin went out on that island and he did his little things and he observed it can I tell you the Holy Ghost never informed him about how man came to be he never got it from the word of God he never got it from the inspiration of the spirit of the living God he got it from the prince of darkness the prince and power of the air the same as Mormonism the same as Islam it's all following the suggestions of the prince of air the spirit 
that works in the children of disobedience. Disobedience has a spirit. There's an attitude that's attached to it. You as a Christian, if you get overwhelmed and there is with you an act of disobedience, make sure that you quickly crush that and correct that act so that the Spirit never lays hold of you. For the sin... All rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You do it enough and the powers and the spirits behind it will get a hold of you. You resist that word enough. You hear me right now. Oh, you don't like this old holiness preacher sometimes. You think he goes too far. You resist that enough and there'll be a spirit rise up in you and it's not of God. There'll be a spirit lay hold of your soul that's of the children of disobedience. It comes right out of the kingdom of darkness. It comes right from the prince himself. And it is the lie from the beginning. It'll make a rebel out of you. And it'll stand eventually in the face of God. And defy his authority. And say how dare you tell me how to live my life. Glory to the Lamb of God. I'm sorry. Just a few minutes. A few minutes please. Verse 10 chapter 2. For we are workmen, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. How are we going to walk in this day? How are we going to walk? We are not going to walk as we used to walk. No, sir. We are going to walk, number one, in good works. Just because the world is filled with evil deeds, we are not going to do that. Just because they kick us when we're down doesn't mean we kick them when they're down. We will never adopt their spirit and we will not cease to do what is right in the eyes of a living God. In Ephesians 4 and 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith you have called. What have we called? Several times, several things mentioned. I'm just going to mention we're called to be the body of Christ. That's what Paul deals with in this letter so much. We're called to be the bride. We're called to be the body. That's who we are. And that's our calling. Our calling is that we are representatives of the Lord and representatives of the King of all the earth. My, somehow, I tell you what we're going to do is we're going to walk. God, help us right here. God, help us right here. I will tell you we have so belittled any kind of mannerism that speak of the years gone past. We, we in our, our, our efforts to erase history and, and erase our past, I'll tell you what we've done. We have thrown out also those cultural norms of respect, those cultural norms of what your place was. I will tell you, you can say, yeah, that, that culture had some things maybe that it had not yet got right. There were things that they were struggling with. But can I tell you something? A child knew his place in that culture and they don't know their place now. Can 
and I tell you in that culture there was still a semblance of respect we've got none of that now oh we shake our fist at them and think we're so much better we become slaves of materialism we become slaves of the gods of Hollywood we become slaves of a corrupt government and we think oh we're better than them no sir you're worse than them because you do not even know some of the cultural norms that they knew Somewhere our walk has got to be worthy of our calling. Our conversation can't be gutter talk. Our conduct can't be cheap. Our thoughts can't be sinful. Our treating of one another has got to be upright and proper. Chapter 5, I'm about to close in verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, giving himself an offering. What's going to dictate your steps is unselfish love. There's going to be a righteous indignation that's going to come up in us. Let it so be. There's going to be a holy anger time that's going to hit us. But the dictates of our step. There's another fire that burns brighter than anger. And it's the fire of love. Glory to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. There comes a time in an early church when Paul would look at that man and say, Sir, it's unlawful unlawful for you to beat a Roman that's uncondemned. You a Roman? I am. You're not beating me today, bud. That's okay. And then there's a time that the mouth will fall silent and the rods will be brought across the back because God's got another purpose. Paul said it this way, the love of Christ constraineth me. It hems me in like a cattle, like cattle in a chute. It puts them down that chute and they can't turn to the right or the left. Ooh, glory. What keeps me on course, what makes me cry out for you, what makes me pray for you, what makes me preach to you like this, what makes me come to this pulpit and know that I want to be prayed up and I want to preach a relevant message because I am not preeminently after your amen. I am not preeminently after your tithe dollar. I'm not after your attendance. I'm after your heart. I want God Almighty. I want Jesus to rule. I want you to love God and I love God and together we will walk with him in love as his dear children. Chapter 4, 5 and verse 8, for we were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We will not be ashamed to say we're Christians. We will not be ashamed to tell people that their thoughts and opinions are wrong and without basis. We will walk as children of light. Verse 11, have no unfruitful, or no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We will reprove them. 
simply by living what's right. Hallelujah. I've seen it many times. I talked to a pastor yesterday. He told me, he said, I just had something happen. He said, I forget exactly where he was at, but I think he was waiting. His car was at the dealership or something. He was waiting there. And as he was waiting there, he just sat back against, there was a piece of plexiglass or something, I think, to playground and children on the other side. He just sat there for a little while. And just in a little bit, there was this little boy that came out. He was very young, I think. I'm thinking he said somewhere around 10 or something like that. But very young. And he come out and he started looking at that, that hole in his preacher. And he looked at him and, and he told him I, something like, I don't like you. And finally, that boy growled and said, I hate you. Preacher looked at him and said, where's your mom and dad at? He said, you better get back to them or I'm going to lay hold on you. Boy started walking away and then turned around and growled again and said, I hate you. Woman stood beside him and said, what in the world was wrong with that kid? Pastor said, lady, it's deeper than you'll ever know. It's deep. The world don't understand that. I know what that voice was. And I know what that growl was. And it wasn't the growl of a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old. It was the voice of the powers of darkness. You didn't have to preach a message. You just sit in the public square. Come on now. Your light, glory to the Lamb of God. You live in the power of holiness. You won't have to say anything about their dress. They'll bring it up. You won't have to say anything about their adulterous lifestyle. They'll bring it up. When you talk about your faithfulness to your wife, when you talk about your love for your children, when you talk about the peace in your house, they will condemn you, but it's the light of God that is convicting their hearts and their souls. Glory to the Lamb. Woo! Finally, I close in chapter 5 and verse 15. See that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Stand to your feet while I close right here. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Walking circumspectly means this. It means you walk carefully. It means you walk cautiously. It means you look where you put your step. It means you watch your action. It means you watch your attitude. It means you look exactly where you're going. I tell you what we're going to do in this church by the grace of God. We don't want to make snap decisions on moral challenges that we got to take a little bit to sift through. I tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to jump on some kind of thing where we let our emotion rule the day and we let our inundation of political and social media just fill in our soul and we're going to make our decision. No sir! We're going to sit down and think we're going to prove all things and we're going to cling to what is good and abhor what is evil. We're going to test it by the word. We're going to prove every spirit. We're going to prove every spirit and know the Spirit of God is distinct from the Spirit of the Antichrist. Men of wisdom in the Word, spiritual men in the church, we'll discuss, we'll pray, we'll talk, we'll listen. We'll think and we'll let the Holy Ghost guide us. We'll do what they did in Acts 15 when they were faced with a dilemma that was set to destroy the church. And while the enemy may think he's got it and he's going to turn the tide, I tell you what God's folks are going to do. They're going to get in there and they're going to listen to what Peter says. And they're going to measure it up. And when it's all done, they said, it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. Woo! Glory to God. It seemed good to us 
and the Holy Ghost. This is what we're going to do. They didn't come out of their indecisive. They didn't write back a letter and say, we don't know what to do. Do whatever you want. They give them an authoritative letter. Said, this is from the council and the Holy Ghost of heaven. Obey it in all particulars. Blessed, our motto will be, is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters and bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. Oh no. They are like the wind, the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the godly, the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. The homosexuality is short-lived. The governor's edicts are short-lived. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. Governors have come and gone and the church remains. Edicts have come and gone but the church remains. Oh, they rise up and they fall down but the church remains because Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Lift your hand and give it praise. Hallelujah! 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 How about it? Will you remember God's sovereign purpose? Undefeated in its processes. Will you remember your place? My steps are dictated by the heavenlies, not the earth. Will you remember your path and walk as children of God? What will it be this morning? What will it be this morning? Would there be any of us that the day will come that we will say, oh, I know what you're saying. I know what the Bible says, Brother Woods, but I just can't do that. That's a little too much for me. Well, that day will come for you if, if you can have a load too great. That day's coming. You've got a price that's going to be paid. You may have hidden the for sale sign and filed it away deep. But the foul door will be found. The foul will be pulled. And your price will be offered. 